No, sir. Maybe not. You're Maybe good. Yeah. No, yes. No. <laughs> Drink pumps. But I think the problem is, uh, so these random acts of kindness are also usually temporary. They tend to be fleeting, and um, they fall short. Like, if, if all of your bumper sticker says is be kind, it's, it's falling short of answering the, the solution of the world's darkness. <laughs> 
And so there's something else that has to be grabbed after. I might even add that it tends to keep others at arm's length. This is what I mean. When you just have kind of kindness or an act of kindness or one of those moments, it does that act of good without making any commitments to the people. No obligation to anyone else. In fact, like you can give that meal to the person and pay for it. Or maybe you're like, oh, I just realized that that's like a van with 18 kids. I'm going to pay for the meal behind that car. Don't pay for the car behind me. That's too much money. The sacrifice is just too heavy. So I want to go, yeah, the motorcycle. Yes, that one, the motorcycle. Give me the motorcycle. I'll pay for that. Here's $5. No obligation. They don't even know who it is. And make sure that there is a back door or an eject button just in case you decide, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't like doing this. I don't like feeling like that anymore. It's maybe not reciprocated in the way that I had hoped. I can feel good for a second, but I can also decide to do random acts of kindness at my own leisure. It's very much in my control. And when you test it, it always, all, almost always falls apart. When you put it in the context of a kindness or a love that doesn't benefit the giver, eventually the steam in that fades out. And eventually the steam did fade out in that movement in the north side of Phoenix from our, from our college ministry. If it's not reciprocated, it can feel like maybe, man, man, how long do I keep this up? When it's not, when it is even legitimately undeserved, it's like, oh, I'm not giving anything to that person. They're like, oh, no, I didn't, I didn't really want to give it to that person. I, I know them, and uh, they don't deserve this happy meal right now. So I'm going to pass on their happy meal and do the happy meal behind it. In fact, give me the van with the 18 kids again. I don't want that person at all touching anything that I want to give them. What about when the benefits of that go to someone else or a community at cost to you? Then it's harder, right? You start to think, well, I don't know if it's worth this. And a cost-benefit analysis starts to go off in your head, taking place in your mind, let alone when that person is maybe, or that group is maybe seen to you as an enemy or an opponent, or even someone that desires you harm. Then the act of kindness is like, ah, maybe, maybe I'll pass for today. I'll pick this thing back up tomorrow, and I'll get back at that act of kindness thing. And so as this church, we've been walking through this idea of what is love. The series is called All Love, and we're trying to figure out um, and, 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 and what, what God uh, might mean by that phrase and how we should act in love towards each other. We talked about how basing love on subjective values in this system lacks having the stability or the security. It doesn't give credence to devotion, even when the season or the emotions don't exist, and you just don't want to keep going in those things. Well, love always has to have flexibility. There needs to be something in there that captures it, anchors it at least a moment wherein there is an agreement on which love values we are going to operate under. What agreements are we going to make? What are we going to embrace that so we're both on the same page? And what do we mean by this phrase, I love you? And I mentioned in that sermon that there is two kind of ideas in our culture that represent that. One is when somebody is adopted and they're brought into a family and you make the agreements of what that means. The other is a wedding vow. This is what we mean by what we are getting ourselves into, right? And so we can't base a marriage uh, on, on the kind of love that is equivalent to the way I love tacos, right? How many of y'all love tacos? Dude, I will eat tacos all day, every day. It doesn't matter what is going on. Tacos are a love language. I'm sure of that. Gary Chapman missed that one in his book, right? And, and this, woo. All right, we're back. Or on the same level, uh, as you might love your spouse, a friend, or anyone that is close to you, the same way that you might love your pet. 
and it doesn't matter how huggable your goldfish is, it's not the same thing. So when we talk about the Ten Commandments, we, we decided, okay, there's, there's this marriage language that surrounds the moment where Moses gives the love or gives these, these Ten Commandments to them. And we realize that he is actually giving somewhat of, uh, of his marriage vows to his covenant people in ten different uh, lines. And so as we're looking at, okay, well, well, what we didn't talk about, though, is where did God get those vows? Where did God get those vows? Ten things that he felt were important enough to include them in the wedding vows to his people. And, and the answer to that is actually really very simple, but it is profound. That what informed the covenant that he made with his people is this. Love is who he is. Yes. He based it off of his character. God is love and he defines love. He's the source of it. Love is not a set of attributes or actions, love is just what comes out as God does and is who he is. It pours out of every part of his being. And then he helps us understand that by allowing us to look in his history as we check out these scriptures and see what he did here and here and here. And you flip a few pages, you're like, oh man, you are so faithful. You're sticking to it, even in this section over here. And what we find, what we discover is this really unique word. Some of you might have heard it before. I'm going to make you say it once the right way with me because it involves a little guttural cough at the beginning, all right? The word is chesed. I didn't even do it very well. Here we go. Chesed. All right. Oh, oh, oh. That's a good practice run. Let's do this. On three. I want you to do it with the whole cop. <laughs> All right. One, two, three. Chesed. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, I'll give it to y'all. That's a good one. From here on out, I'm just going to say it the other way. Chesed, right? Full H. I'm not even going to try to do that every time that we do this. But what I want you to know about this word, chesed, is that in the English, nothing quite does it justice. This word occurs 225 times in the Old Testament. About 75% of those are attributed to God directly because he's one of the few beings that operates with the level of definition that this word holds. And so it's been translated. Are you ready for this? As love, great love, mercy, merciful, endless mercy, kindness, kindly, divine kindness, acts of kindness, everlasting kindness, faithfulness. I ran out of fingers. Everlasting faithfulness. Preach. Sticking by, sticking with, sticking to, unswerving love, covenant love, reliable, compassionate, extravagant, generous, bedrock. Devout, good-heartedness, working graciously, endlessly patient, generous devotion, to name a few. That's not even the fullness of this word. In fact, across six different translations, there's 169 ways you can possibly translate it. It eludes the English language. Nothing captures the fullness of what it is and what it accomplishes inside of the Hebrew language. In fact, y'all remember King James. Some of y'all have the Bible translation that he put out. King James felt like there was no other word to capture it, so this is what he did. This is a tiny little snippet of a very old, like this is the oldest, it doesn't get any more OG than King James version right here. This is it. That word in the middle, it's like L-O, looks like a U-I-N-G-E. I don't even know what that next letter is. Y-N-E-F-S. N-E-F-F-E-S. The word in our day would be loving kindness. He invented a word to apply to this situation 
So he would have a word, and it is why we have the word, even to this day, loving kindness that we'll put in its place. So one translation that I really love that sticks out to me is this idea of loyal love. And this is how the Bible Project translates it, if you've heard of the Bible Project. It said it mixes love, all right, our traditional idea of love and affection, with generosity or extravagant grace and enduring commitment or promise-keeping loyalty all mixed into one. So it's this kind of love that when someone demonstrates when they are keeping a promise and when they desire to be loyal to their promise, motivating them to go above and beyond or to be super generous or to stick with it when they wouldn't have given up otherwise, that's chesed. It's a powerful, powerful word. In fact, in Exodus 34, right before Moses delivers the Ten Commandments for his covenant vows, it says this. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him. He's on Mount Sinai and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger. That word actually literally means long in the nose. I don't know how that ever makes sense. But here's the Hesed moment, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is the God showing Hesed all the way back from when Abraham's promise was made and those descendants were later enslaved in Egypt and God heard their cry and he remembered the promise he made and he decided to rescue them. Afterwards, he raises up Moses, liberates his people from Egypt and in the story, this is called an act of said because it was tied to God's ability to keep his word that he made. He is fulfilling these vows. Later on, the people get really scared. He does, they don't believe that God can protect them, even though he has delivered, him from, delivered them from Pharaoh. And they get to doubting him. They even want Moses killed so they can appoint a new leader who will just take them back to the familiar world of Egypt that they had just been delivered from. Even worse, they begin to turn to idols that they made from their own hands just so they could have something they felt they could trust. Moses steps in and appeals to God like this, and this is Moses' moment of said. In accordance with your great said, he's talking to God, forgive the sins of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. Now what I want you to note in there is that it's important that Moses understood this said covenant relationship, this connection that could never be broken was based not on the people of God to keep up their end of the bargain. But because God's very character is love, is said, not the character of the people who are involved over here, but because God, you have told me, and I'm going to tread lightly, but you're the one who told me you love in a said kind of love. So I'm just, I'm just keeping you accountable to that God. So would you apply that to them and forgive this people because said is who you are. And so God forgives and commits them. And this love cannot be a one-act kind of drive-through, happy meal, per-person love. Yes. It's something bigger. It's something beyond that. This is a relational love that is caught in this circular process wherein they abuse that love and he forgives them. Abuse, forgive, abuse. Still, God has said continues from generation to generation to generation. And he builds this powerful track record that we now get to read through of him never breaking 
his loyal love to the people he made his vows to. In fact, it's so powerful they had to make songs because words don't do it justice. Psalm 36 says, Your has said, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Anyone got a third day song stuck in their head after that situation? Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice is like the deep. This is Hebrew poetry spanning the entire cosmos in an attempt to describe the said love of God. And all they have in their Near Eastern imaginations where they're living is that they look up in the sky, they see the sky, and it's blue, and then they look down on the sea, and they see the sea, and they look across the land, and these are the biggest things they can find from the highest to the lowest, to the furthest, to the deepest, to, I don't know, all the tears of the cosmos, God. That's all we know what to say. Your said love is everlasting, and you are loyal to us. Psalm 103 says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your has said for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my transgressions from me. You are so loving and forgiving, God, that I'm going to make up some unimaginable distance to describe it. I don't know. East is from the west? That's the best I got for you. Your love is that far. I mean, far, I guess, farther than I can imagine that way and this way. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know where it is. Good. And so God is sitting, in, the people of God are trying to grasp for these words, and I feel like we're still trying to grasp for these words today. And as a result of his example, you see God's people show his said love. The story of Ruth is all about her covenant love loyalty to Naomi so that she is not left or abandoned. Jonathan's commitment to David, even against his own father, is a covenant love has said that he will never leave David's side and he will be his partner no matter what ups and downs are going through. This is the kind of love, God's love, that lays a foundation of relationship, a history of faithfulness, and it does so in concrete actions to show a demonstration of that loyalty. But this is what that kind of love looks like. The question is, why is that kind of love so hard to do and to see in our day and age? <clears throat> Pastor Eric, you have positioned us quite eloquently and we're right there. You've asked a tremendous question. Why don't we see it? Why don't we do it? Why don't we live it? It is because this love, the love that Pastor Eric talked about, it is quite uncommon. It is uncanny. This love is unprecedented, non-traditional, because it is non-reciprocal. And as we will see today, it sets the highest standard of love. It is love's ultimate expression. The writer in the book of John, if you will go there with me in John 15, speaks to this very love. John chapter 15, beginning with verse 9. Do we have it there? Yes. Follow along with me. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now your assignment is to go remain in that love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you, with the understanding that greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants 
because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And finally, today, we highlight the fact that there are many dispensations and dimensions of love. And although love has many qualities, none more revealing or impactful, according to the writer John, we just read it, than what Jesus did on the cross. Pastor Eric John says that the work of the cross represents the ultimate expression of love. Let's look back at the text. First, Jesus says that you got to love me as I have, as the Father has loved me, I've loved you. And he's exactly what you said, Pastor Eric. He's talking about passing it forward. He allows God to love us through him. In fact, he is God's love. That's our assignment, to be the love of God. He is love manifested. I give what I have received, but I do not give it expecting or requiring it to be received of you. Nor do I require or expect to receive it back. There are no strings attached to this love. You qualify for the love because God loves me. Everyone qualifies. If you can meet my commandments, Jesus said, Jesus says, I walk in my Father's command. I prioritize my Father's love. It is the only way to carry out my assignment. Sometimes loving people requires us to use God's love because we don't have the capacity to love within ourselves. And so we must rely on God's love. Here's where I want to focus. Jesus says, I told you this so that you might be complete. And, and, and Pastor Eric, he, 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 he started our sermon, and I'm, I'm doing the middle part, and now here's your part. We all remember the movie Jerry Maguire, amen? And we all remember the part where Jerry told Dorothy, uh, you complete me. And so, so today, here's your part. I want everybody to channel their inner Tom Cruise and I want you just to put that hand out there. And would you just look up to God in that theatrical voice? And would you tell him, oh, you, you complete me. Would you do that? That's your assignment. Come on, everybody. <laughs> Not quite Emmy caliber. Come on, let's try it again. Let's come on, come on, put it out there one more time. Come on, come on. One, two, three. You, you complete me. And we did that in the first service. And someone came up and said, and you know what God said, don't you? I was like, no. He said, God said, you had me at hello. (laughs) I'm like, don't be trying to write my sermon for me. (laughs) But I'm going to use it, don't worry. (laughs) Jesus says this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Let's break that down. And then, My command is this. We are commanded to love. God puts a premium on our, on our incorporation of love as a tool to advance his kingdom. Not only are we commanded to love, John says that we are commanded to love each other. We are specifically commanded to love people. We value the opportunity to love those people in proximity to us. 
No one is irrelevant. There's a reason you know them. There's a reason you're connected to them. People are God's most important asset. But tell me if you agree with me, people are messy. People bring people problems. People bring the best and the worst out of us. Yet God has sent people to be our proving ground. Perhaps it could be said like this, that you and I are no more Christians, ambassadors of God, representatives of God, than the way we treat people. We are commanded to love in the same way that God loves us, which pertains to two elements. First, the model of his love, the way he does it. And then secondly, the measure of his love, the extent to which he does it. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for their friends. This is the ultimate expression of love. Because it is a love that reveals the true character, content, intent, and identity of the giver. This is a giver-focused love. This love does not consider the identity and makeup of the potential receivers or recipients. It is given without regard to the worthiness of the recipient. You cannot be good enough to get it. And you cannot be bad enough to lose it. In fact, this is a love that is fortified in the heart of the giver without regard to the receiver. It does not take us into consideration. Again, this love very much speaks to the giver. In fact, it does not even require or assume acquisition or consumption. The goal of most people's love is reciprocity, response, give it back to me, love me back, meet me halfway, meet me in the middle, don't leave me hanging. But this love does not seek to lay down with you. This love seeks to lay down for you. It is sacrificial. God gave Jesus to the world without the necessity of the world's acknowledgement or appreciation. This love is in place and available, even if it is not received. This love is in place and available, even if it is never reciprocated. This love reveals the vastness of God, because everything God created obeys him and is in alignment with him, except for us. Our disobedience unveils another dimension of God, and it actually gives God the opportunity to love us in a way that no other created thing requires of him. He loves us in spite of us. He loves us without regard to our behavior. He loves us even if we do not love him or do anything for him. In fact, we cannot die for God. We can only die to God. Jesus died so we might live. So the ultimate expression on our behalf is for us to live for God and to let God love other people through us. We cannot make God's life any better, but we can take advantage of the sacrifice that God made to make our lives better. Pastor Eric, the scripture says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And sometimes all we have are those three words. The best we can do is say, I love you. That's the best we can do. But behind that, the motivation, I think we can go one up. We can actually understand 
that as opposed to the fact that I'm loving you. It is actually God who loves you, and he sent me to say it, and he sent me to show it. Thank you.